You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. This is Graham Scott here, and you're listening to the Agile Uprising podcast. Greetings and welcome to another edition of the Agile Uprising Podcast. I'm your host again, Jay Hersko, back again. Joining me this week, I have a very special guest, uh, a man whose voice makes mine sound absolutely atrocious, the host of the Badass Agile Podcast, Mr. Chris Williams. Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, Jay, I'm really excited to be on this show. Thank you so much for the invitation. We, we are stoked to have you. So, uh, so what are we talking about this week, everybody? Well, Chris has been pulling on a thread over his last couple of episodes, and it's a thread that... He got two episodes into it seems like five, six in a, in a in a chain that I reached out and I said, hey, you're pulling on a thread that a lot of us are, are noticing. A lot of us are starting to feel. Can we can we get in a room? Can we talk about this? And that thread is, well, where is this agile thing actually going? So I guess I'll start, Chris, with a, with a quick question of um, and, I, and I've been a long time listener. Right? I've been following your stuff for a real long time. And you've slowly built these episodes. You daisy chain together where it's it's very much the um, the philosopher staring into the abyss. Right. Mm-hmm. And then the abyss staring back at you. What what led you to this? Hey, this is this is the kind of topic we all should be thinking about and talking about right now. Great question. It's because we're, I think we're all feeling it, aren't we? Aren't we all kind of wandering the halls and, you know, a bunch of things are happening. So I, I noticed that on LinkedIn, people are getting really aggressive towards one another saying, no, this is what the Bible says. No, this is what the Bible says. And so we're we're a house divided. Number one, that's that's a problem. Number two, when Jeff Sutherland, the guy who co-founded Scrum, comes out and says, you know, not for nothing, but we're seeing a 58% failure rate. That's exceptionally poor. And the reasons behind it are easy to identify and easy to fix, but for some reason, we're not getting any better. Now, for reference, if you're an oldie like me, when Agile first arrived on the scene, we were largely doing waterfall development, and there was a report called the Standish Chaos Report that described a failure rate of IT projects specifically as being around 80%. So 25, 30 years in, we're not doing much better. And you notice the industry's changing. So fewer jobs, agile coaching jobs are disappearing. They're collapsing into the scrum master role. Hourly pay pay rates for scrum masters are starting to go down. Demand is going up more and more certified professionals hitting the scene. So there's, we're at a cultural moment where people are starting to say things like, I'm going to take the word agile or scrum out of my job title. And I'm not going to call myself a scrum master anymore. And I'm not going to call what I'm doing agile or scrum. We're going to debrand ourselves or deassociate ourselves with agile and scrum itself. So what's going on? And everyone's waiting for something to happen next. And what's happening next on its own with nobody really driving change is that we're starting to roll backwards to the way we used to run projects, which is lots of upfront planning, lots and loads of reporting and documentation. And essentially the role is more of drive. It's being a taskmaster 
and driving people. Did you get this done? You know, bad person. And that none of those things are good news. So if we want to preserve this beautiful thing that we've been working on for decades now, then it's up to us to ensure its survival. Now, that means we probably have to change, yes, but we also have to figure out, and we, we're supposed to be great at looking back and retrospecting, figure out how did this go wrong? How are we at 58% failure rate? Right, right, right. That was the big sales pitch. The big sales pitch was, hey, large, and we did have Jim Johnson on the show, great guy from the Standish um, organization, and we talked about the chaos report and how when most of us, the spiel that we learn when we come into an organization as an agile practitioner, which is why we're hired, is, mm-hmm. well, you know, waterfall, a medium to large size project per the chaos report, uh, per, you know, per all these different types of reports, it has a fairly hard, fairly high failure rate. So we're going to help you um, do twice the work and half the time. And I hate that line. We'll come back to that. And to your point, like, that's a, that's a big egg on the face for us. Like we walked in promising that if you try to work in this new way, you're going to get different results. And we've literally resulted in Einstein's definition of insanity. And I, and I, there's a coach I know, uh, Andrew left bright, bright, bright guy. Um, Andrew's another, uh, another podcast host. We were chatting one night and he said, he made the remark to me, which has rattled around my head since he said, you know, we show up on the scene and we tell people, you know, we, we should do this agile thing. And then we help them walk through the transformation and there's some real bumps and there's some real bruises and it, and it, again, it's tough. And, and you hear the remark of, well, they're, they're just not doing it right. And, and left said something to me, which has rattled around in my head ever since he said, you know, we're sitting here as the experts in the room, as the adults in the room, and we're looking at them and we're saying, you know, if they just don't do it right, and that's why they have problems. And left said to me, well, who's to say they were doing waterfall right? Mm-hmm. Who's to say they were doing critical path? And I'm doing, for those on audio, I'm doing gratuitous air quotes, right? <laughs> and that really made me stop and think. And it's like, man, you know, like, I mean, what's the, I forget the, it's a, it's a, it's a cognitive term where we come up with this blind spot where we think everybody that was before us was just dumb and we can't do, that will never happen because mm-hmm. we're smarter. We have better technology, a little bit. And then human history keeps getting on the wheel. So um, I definitely think you're you're picking at the zeitgeist where, would you think, Chris, some people are starting to say very loudly, Agile is dead. Agile is not dead. Agile needs to change. You have Cliff Berg in the Agile 2 movie, which I, I like Cliff, his book. Uh, There's a lot of good stuff in that book. Um, you had Sandy Mamaly just came out with that. She was pitching the idea of actually retrospecting on Agile itself and working through an exercise with your team to figure out what comes next. Do you think it's just that there are enough practitioners now that have reached that level of maturity where they realize that, hey, maybe we're doing some things wrong and we gotta and we gotta change it. And maybe what you what you called out really early on, which, which really bothers me, is the sniping and the and the the cattiness mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. LinkedIn. Do you think that's people who are not maturely dealing with their 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 epiphany that hey maybe we got to change something. I think it's the, the people, you know, I, I go on to LinkedIn and I read as much as I feel like, but I don't contribute. I, I, on social media, I resist the temptation to say, hey, here's why you're wrong. Because one of my life principles, number one, is you never create momentum by making another person, a collaborator, a client, a prospect, a teammate wrong, ever. Crabs in a bucket. Yeah. 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 So I just don't engage, but I'm, I'm curious to, to read the stuff. Here's, here's what I think. I'm going to boil this into something really, really simple and precise as a theme for today. The problem is not that we're doing agile wrong. The problem is that we're focusing on the wrong things. 
processes don't solve anything. Processes don't create flow. They don't create results. And I'm going to explain, first, I'm going to explain what I see in the industry is causing the, the problem. It's not that we're doing the process wrong. There's a bunch of factors that are colliding at once. And I, I wrote an ebook on this uh, about the future of agility. And by the time this goes live, you should be able to just grab it for free from my website. But there's a whole bunch of factors coming together. One of them is who buys Agile? If you had to guess who spends the most money on Agile services, Agile people, Agile tools, and so on. Big companies, big orgs, enterprise orgs. So like t five to 10,000 plus charge. My experience, Chris, has been banks, insurance companies, um, um, anybody. I mean, telcos, big, yeah. big established organizations that mm -hmm. have a, a long history um, of size. And for whatever reason, they feel like they need to compete or they need to modernize. And exactly. So let me ask, then they end up at our doorstop. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. When when we think about Agile and the people who founded it, they say at the very top of their document, why was Agile devised or why was Agile brainstorm? You know, why did they sit down and think about this problem and come up with a set of principles and a manifesto? What was their reason? Do you remember? Um, I don't have the manifesto memorized. It was finding new ways of working that are that it makes life better for the people that have to work in the system. Like that was their primary motivator right, right? and but the first they were lie all... is people and people and uh people in interactions over processes and tools yeah exactly but the, the the overarching shot across the bow the opening salvo was finding better ways of making software essentially so agile was primarily designed to make software development better than it was and i understand that because at the time it was devised i remember what professional software development looked like and it was very slow and very stodgy and very process-oriented and document-oriented and safety-oriented. So if that's what it was designed for, why do banks, what do bank, how do banks make money? Banks or insurance companies? What's their reason for being? Oh, well, they, they make money by by only taking risks that they can afford to take. And then, and at this point, I would exactly. I would insert a really snarky joke about 2008 and the bailouts, but we'll just, for the, sure. the interest of time, we'll keep going. But traditional banking, right? Brick and mortar banking is you are very risk avoidant. You're only lending, you know, the old was at Jimmy Stewart movies, right? You're only lending to people where you think that you have a good chance of repayment mm -hmm. and you're conservative in your investments. Yeah. Right. And insurance companies are not much different. They're basically like a legalized casino. They're just banking, not on you repaying a loan. They're banking on you dying early, you getting into a car accident, your house right. burning down, et cetera. So those folks make money off of other people's money. They don't make money building software. To a bank and insurance company, tech, building software, and therefore agile is for the most part an expense item on the ledger. It's not a revenue item. So is it their number one priority? No. If you ask a CEO of any bank, any insurance company, any large company, how is your scrum doing? They'll say, what's scrum? What is that? So they don't know. So when agile projects fail, what are the, what are the reasons we commonly cite? It is, well, I'll let you take a shot. Oh, why do our projects fail? Oh, we don't have clear scope. We don't have leader. So Agile's world, it's the the, the old saw is we don't have leadership buy-in. We don't exactly. have an organization that's structured in a way that reduces impediments to dependencies and handoffs. Right. We don't have the tools necessary to require that would allow us to deploy code at speed with minimal, you know, minimal cabs, change, change approval boards that we have to go through. That's, that's right. That's typically what we blame. That's right. So those problems 
would be most likely encountered in an environment where the thing that you're working on, in this case, Agile and Scrum, is not the highest value priority. They're not going to support you. They don't understand what you do or why you do it. They don't know what a good investment of their money even looks like. They don't know how to measure it. So they're counting, and that's our fault. Because if we really want Agile to survive and thrive, we should be as responsible for selling its benefits and selling the necessary conditions for its success mm -hmm. and insisting on those things. But because we don't do that, and this is an important point, remember, most Agile people, at least in the early days, came up through the development room. We were sitting there developing. We got good at it. We heard about Agile. We said, let's use us eight. Let's use this thing. It's beautiful. I like it. Recipe cards. Let's do it. And then all of a sudden, some guy in a three-piece with a bow tie knocks on the door and says, you, nerd, heard about this Agile thing twice the work and half the time. Come upstairs and tell us all about it. We weren't <laughs> trained to talk to those people. Most people don't even know who their end customer is mm. and what's meaningful to them, let alone what's going on in the C-suite. Like, have mm -hmm. you ever read a shareholder report? where they talk about the metrics that they care about, that their investors right. care about, the problems that they're reporting on, you probably haven't. Most Agilists don't have a clue. And again, I think I'm a big accountability guy. That's our fault. So there's problem number one. Agile Scrum fails because it's not important enough by default to the people who buy the most of it. And we're not good at communicating, sharing, and learning. I would, I will, yes, and that. Absolutely. Yes. in that, Chris, I think to your point, right. Um, I, so I just finished the book masters of doom, which talks about John Romero and John Carmack, the two guys behind Wolfenstein 3d doom quake, right. These brilliant guys who read redid video gaming and the companies, basically they fell apart when they went their separate ways because, and it's going to tie to your point, John Carmack was the, was the engine guy. He's the, he's the agilist who understands software delivery and how to make the thing work. And this is how we're going to do it. And we're going to visualize this and so on and so forth. <clears throat> Romero was the dog and pony show guy. He was the sales guy. He was the ideas one. He was the one to come up and say, hey, look, when I come to you and I tell you we're going to do twice the work and half the time, this is what I mean from you. Here's how I'm going to do it. So it's it's like the old thing where we take a great developer and we make them a manager. And they're not, their, their, their mindset is not in management. It's in engineering and delivery. So right. you're basically taking a duck out of the water, sticking them in the middle of the desert and saying, well, why don't you efficiently paddle? I think that that missed salesmanship piece, yep. right? Yep. Is part of it. And not that everybody can be a salesman. And if I'm going to, if I'm going to say something, maybe a little bit controversial, I do think, sure. um, you know, when we go to the, 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 the land of the coach, right. And the coaching mm -hmm. competencies that we all, you know, Lisa Adkins' book, which is a great book. Everybody should read that. The piece that's missing is the piece that makes anybody who's even remotely an introvert uncomfortable. It's mm -hmm. the salesman piece. Mm -hmm. It's the mm -hmm. ability to put my arm around Chris in the hall and with the guy with the three piece in the bow tie and say, mm -hmm. look, I'm going to use words like agile scrum and iteration. Mm -hmm. You don't care. What you mm -hmm. do care about is, and you touched that this, I think you touched on this and uh, nobody wants your agile, one of your episodes in the chain. Mm -hmm. You care about what's the cost to gather a customer? What's mm -hmm. the cost to convert that customer? What The pirate metrics, what's the R, what's the cost to retain that customer as our service? Mm -hmm. We don't, but you're right. We use the wrong things. We walk in waving a CFD talking about flow states. And while it's rational and valid, it, we're, we're speaking in a different language. I think we're yeah. speaking in a different language. Yeah, we are. And so I'm fascinated with a couple of things. One of them is simplicity. 
and with simplicity, I like the things that have always been true and are true everywhere because they're way more instructive than learning a framework. One of the problems with learning a framework in deep, complex detail is that if something happens that's not listed in the scrum guide, it's like, well, what do we do? We can't mm. do anything. I guess we just stop working. There's, you know, we go into to Reddit or Quora and ask a friend. One of the core principles of anything, and this will treat you well in relationships, this will treat you well in sales, this will teach you well in um, you, if you're marketing, for example, is the only thing that matters is the person across from you. Everything is about their experience. So if you're using the words I and me way too much, you've already failed. You've, mm -hmm. you've violated one of the basic life laws is that, and this goes back to even Dale Carnegie will tell you, the only thing they're interested in hearing is the sound of their own voice, the sound of their own name. And we haven't learned to do that. We haven't mm -hmm, learned. Mm -hmm. we, we have this feeling that agile exists and is good for its own sake because it's here. It's awesome. And that's not necessarily true. So, so let me give you, that was one of the factors that contributes to the state that we're in. The fact that we are, we're, we're doing something and we don't understand how it's valuable to the people who pay for it. So if you're a tech company, if you're Tesla, Agile is like number one on your scale. This generates revenue for you because every two weeks we or every day, mm -hmm. we put something on the table that customers will pay for or eliminates a risk for us or something. But in a bank, it's on the expense line. So they're not as interested. And the moment it doesn't work, they're going to start going, hmm, what else can we look at? Okay. So that's problem number one. Problem number two, and I've been in the certification industry from like the Novell Netware days. And I remember what it was like to say, there's this new thing and it's great. And if you get the certifications, you can get like 150 bucks an hour. So people go, yes, I want some. And some people come to the table willing to do what's necessary to take the learning and apply it and to honor the industry. But some people just see the paycheck. When that happens, people start going, you know, I don't really want to pay five grand per course, grand total, $25,000 to get a certificate. I certainly don't want to fail exams and have to write them twice. Can you do me this? Can you write me a $50 book that explains the concept, but also gives me the exam answers? Cause I'd really like that. I'll spend 50 bucks on that. And so we make it because somehow that sells. If you write books, there's a title we can sell and sell well. So now we have an industry populated with people who don't really know what the practice is, who are laser focused on facts and details that ultimately don't really matter or help them. And before you know it, we've got way too many practitioners for the demand. So in the Microsoft world, people went mm -hmm. from making $100,000 a year as an MCSE in 1994 to five years later, the average pay rate was 35. So now you have a bunch of people who are not only in it for the money, but will take any job no matter what it pays. And that and drives that, right into that the drives quality down. Yeah, so yep. that's another one. Another thing that we have done is we've infantilized Agile. Most of what I see on LinkedIn, if it's not people arguing and bickering, the only thing that pleases people is, hey guys, let's do a, a Barbie style sprint planning or let's do a Battlestar Galactica uh, backlog grooming. And this stuff, people always say, well, why can't I have fun at work? You can have fun at work, but work is called work for a reason. Yeah, the balance. And I'm going to get yeah. to this, I'm going to get to this in a moment. But when you, you know, professionals don't treat each other that way. You don't have doctors walking around and say, hey, everybody, let's do a Chewbacca colonoscopy. 
when we treat people like children, then that's how they'll behave. And I know this because when I go and clean up somebody else's mess, the first thing they tell me is like, we hated those, like those silly retrospectives. We, were, we felt like children. We felt condescended to. We were wearing pirate hats and we were working with crayons and stuff. They won't tell you that they don't like it, but they'll tell everybody else. Mm-hmm. And But the most important point to note is that complexity and some of this infantilizing and making you know little games and stuff, they're both work avoidance techniques. And here's something important that I've learned from all my days in coaching and scrum mastering. The biggest blocker to real productivity is that people are uncomfortable being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So should we have a meeting? Hell yes. What are we going to do in the meeting? We're going to plan the next meeting. I'm down. Let's book it. Even though if you think about it, it's kind of absurd. Should absurd we get one... is kind of word, a kind word. Right. Yeah. <laughs> should we get more signatures? Absolutely. The more, the better. So one of the problems with banks and insurance companies being the biggest buyers of agility is what kind of employees do banks and insurance insurance companies attract? They're not people who desire risk. They're not people who desire significance or impact. They're not spotlight people. There's no room for those kinds of players in a 300,000 person organization. There just isn't. They want people who will punch the clock who, if I needed to, I could replace you like this. And there would be very, very little pain or loss in that transfer. They want good employees. And this is probably going to offend a lot of people. I don't mean it that way, but many folks Mm -hmm. gravitate towards those jobs because they can be the gray person. They can do the bare minimum amount to not get fired and ride ride their way to a nice, you know, two and a half, 3% uh, pay increase every year. And make their way to a juicy little pension at the end. There's nothing wrong with that. But Agile requires discipline, endeavor, risk, being comfortable with rejection, being comfortable with failure, and all those other things we don't like. So when, when I go in and work with an Agile team, the Agile folks will get it and they'll say their number one complaint is that when they go out into the business part, Right. So they start bringing in business sponsors mm-hmm. or product owners or stakeholders or subject matter experts. They're all like, uh, dude, slow down. You're making this look bad. Like that's the attitude. And in many cases, you'll see it in action because they'll say, you know what? We'd like to commit and fill out this thing and make a done thing. Like to me, a done thing is marketing copy that I can post online. That's a done thing. Yep. A feature that works, that there's inputs, there's process and there's outputs and those outputs are meaningful and valuable and they make customers want to buy or want to stay. Those are done things. Everything else is an ing thing. Meeting, talking, planning, agreeing, signing, those things don't create value. And the, the fallacy is that they create value on the road to finished things, but they don't. They delay finished things. Mm-hmm. What Agile demands and requires is that, hell yeah, let's do it. Now, that doesn't mean at the expense of uh, intelligent um, protecting the downside. But if protecting the downside is your obsession for the first 29 days out of 30, and then 30 days you're suddenly going to deliver, you're fooling yourself. So that's another problem is that the kinds of people that buy Agile are not the kinds of people who really understand it, know how to use it, and have built a culture that will sustain it. There's another problem. So all of these things roll together and suddenly we have a moment where the general, you know, put your finger into the wind and see what's blowing 
is that this isn't working and they're not wrong. Yeah. It's not working. Right. Yeah. I see a lot of people say, how do you know you've delivered value? And they'll say, well, we don't measure anything but happiness metric. Here's an idea. Go to a mechanic, bring him your car and say, how much is this going to cost? And they go, I don't know. You know, we'll know when it's done. You'll know when you get the bill. Uh, do you guarantee your work? Not really, but look at how happy my guys are. <laughs> like that won't fly. Yes. Very, very, very true. There's, um, and I, and I hate to, you know, there's the whole fix versus growth and the X theory, X theory, Y, all that kind of stuff. It's all valid, but it's kind of not. Um, I, I, I've had a couple of points in, in my, in my, even my Angelus career where I've stopped. And I said to my boss, you know, I'm worried that somebody someday is going to wake up and say, what am I spending my money on? Mm-hmm. What are we, what are we paying for? Mm-hmm. And and not to say that there isn't a need for coaching and good coaching, right? Please pay for good coaching. If you don't have good mm-hmm. coaching, get somebody else who is a good coach. Um, but you need to be able to, I hate to say sing for your supper because that may sound crude, but there is something at the end of the day where I, like you, like we said, um, cost to acquire a new customer, cost to retain mm-hmm. customer, percent conversion ratio of a, of a prospect to an actual customer. Like those are the things that the, the people who are of importance, especially at a higher level care about. And mm-hmm. when you lose that plot, you know, it, it, the whole fact that we're having a dialogue now inside the agile world about how do coaches validate their salary tells me that all mm-hmm. the things you've said are without even sticking my finger in the air are true that we are, we are over-resourced. We have too many people in the, in the, in the, in the pool. Um, the pond is overflowing low, very low barrier to entry. Um, mm-hmm. You touched on a couple of things, Chris, I wanted to poke at the one about going deep into the knowledge. So anybody who's listened to this show for at least 15 minutes, right. Mm-hmm. Or has listened to any of our previous episodes. No, I'm a big research and no research guy, knowledge guy. I want to get in. I want to understand the theory, but I also recognize that the problem with that is when you go down the rabbit hole, when the rabbit's down the hole, it has no idea what's going on anywhere else, but what's in front of them. Mm-hmm. So when we dig in and really get deep down into it, you end up with these, the horse blinders where you can't see around. And that is where you end up, like you said, you're making us look bad or you're swimming against the tide. I think that's uh, deep and narrow has, is great for certain practices, but you Mm -hmm. end up horribly blinded. Um, Mm -hmm. And the thing along that with, um, and you actually made this remark, I think it was in agile going down, which I love this one line, or I have a bunch of notes here that I, that I I called Mm -hmm. up. You talked about how knowledge is nothing but stored potential. Mm-hmm. Knowledge is stored potential. And that's very true because yes, the, the elegance is going down into the rabbit hole, getting to that kernel, but then being able to pop out, here comes Doug Hopstater and God bless your buck, right? Cop- popping up a level and saying, mm-hmm. okay, Mr. Mr. Executive, we're not going to talk about scrum. We're going to talk about how do we decrease your cost of acquisition for a new customer? How do mm-hmm. we increase your retention, right? Like, um, putting things where people are at is, is very, is big. Um, but the other side, I mean, the sad reality of this, Chris, is I forget who said it, but this the the old the old statement of you can never make someone understand something when their paycheck relies on them not understanding something. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. look, I've met a lot of great practitioners, a lot of great practitioners who've written books, who've created their own training. There's tons of training courses. I've you know I got a, I'm I have so many friggin' certs on the back of my resume. It looks like an eye chart, but at the same time, yeah having the ability to step back and say, Hey, you know what, if this is how I make my money, I'm always going to see it as this thing. Mm-hmm. You're not, you're not necessarily open-minded to, well, what if I'm wrong? What if it's, mm-hmm. what, what if, what if maybe I'm a little, what if I'm three degrees off center and we know that three degrees off center on a, on a, on a 
on a purposely moving forward line over time, that three degrees gets bigger and bigger, and bigger. I always think of um Aaron Held, a, a good uh, friend of mine. He was uh, he worked at um a bunch of different places. A brilliant technology guy in Philly. He said his line is, "I have a lot of very, very, very strong opinions, loosely held." Mm-hmm. And I think we need more of that in our world, mm-hmm. where we we know these things and we have an idea around these things. But at the same time, I think we need to be to your point about as humans, we try to avoid the things that make us uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't like conflict. We don't like the feeling of being ostracized. We don't like being publicly wrong. So mm-hmm. subconsciously, our lizard brain makes us. And sorry, Andy Clef, I'm referencing the triune brain. It makes us want to avoid those things if at all possible because we mm-hmm. don't want to be exposed. But at the same time. We owe it to ourselves to to turn the mirror around and be like, yo, mm-hmm. I'm pointing my fingers about this executive because he doesn't quote unquote get it. Mm-hmm. Am I not putting it in am I not putting it in words he'll understand? Right. So muscle doesn't grow unless you tear it. All endeavor requires risk. All of life is centered around the principle that this all ends at some point. We don't know when that's going to be. So everything that we do has an element of danger to it. And people don't like that feeling and it's subconscious and they don't know that that's their default mode. There's different kinds of people. Most people that work well in large organizations are certainty and safety people. People who just want to know that the paycheck is there every second Friday. They make terrible entrepreneurs. They make terrible gamblers, but they make excellent other things. But agile requires that you be somewhere on the midline. All great things in life are balanced. If you overwater a plant, it dies just as easily as if you underwater it. Mm -hmm. So everything has a resonant frequency. Everything has a strike right down the middle where it hums and it really works. Agilists, unfortunately, love to do things to the extreme. And so coaching then becomes a function, not remember the key point of reading and studying is not to fill your mind. It's to free it. Mm. Because when you read widely and occasionally read deeply, So if you have something you want to get better at, read 10 books on the subject. What you're looking for is what are the things that everyone says is true, even if they're wrapped up in different outfits, because those universal truths are undeniable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When I was in high school, I studied English and we had a teacher who said, here's Lord of the Flies. Check out all the symbols, check out all the metaphors, check out all. So it was almost like you had a spreadsheet of all the stuff. Here's all the stuff. Here's an inventory of all the stuff. And we're like, "Uh uh-huh, but I think you ruined reading for me. And then when I went to University of Toronto, I had a a professor named Carl Juergens, and he was brilliant. And he explained it as every expression, whether it's the work you do in Agile, whether it is a comedy routine, whether it's a painting, whether it is a document or a book that you write, everything that you express in order to engage another person has to have constantly moving tension in it. So if you think about your favorite movies, they start with Luke Skywalker just kicking it on his desert planet, checking out the two moons. And then all of a sudden he gets these creepy droids who play movies and say they've been with the rebellion. He's like, oh, damn, rebellion. Really? That's cool. Okay, cool. Um, Let's go meet this guy named Ben Kenobi. He's like, you know, not for nothing. Your dad was a pretty kick-ass fighter. You should maybe go. You should join. He's like, "Ah, but, you know, who's going to work on the evaporators? Okay, cool. Goes back home and his family's been burned you know, to, to death. And now he has no choice. And then the rest of the movie is all the little small battles, the mini battles, the mini struggles, the mini crises of faith. It's those little tensions that make life interesting. So all of life is tension. Muscle doesn't grow unless you tear it. 
So if you don't like work because it exposes you to failure, judgment, discomfort, um, pain, any of those things, you're probably a person who values to a certain level, certainty and safety. But certainty and safety is the number one input that will make Agile fail. Uh -huh. It's like plugging your laptop into a 240 volt outlet. Immediately, everything's Toast. fried. Yep. Nothing will ever work again. So coaching needs to be understanding that human condition and moving people more towards the center line. So they don't have to become fearless, reckless, crazy people, but they do have to realize that the thing that you're most afraid of is the thing in life that you must do. The thing that scares you the most is different from what scares me the most. But in both cases, one thing is true. We must do them mm -hmm. because they represent a gap in our capabilities and they put an artificial ceiling on what we can achieve, including delivery excellence. I go back to, I quote this movie all the time. It's kind of funny. The end of Scent of a Woman, where Al Pacino is sitting there with Chris O'Donnell and he says, I have come to the crossroads in my life and I always know the right path because the right path is the hard path. No, I'm not telling everybody to always do the hardest, the hardest option in front of you, but there are parts of your brain that you don't even realize that are picking up on signals. And those signals yep. are probably, it's, if you're getting a warning that, hey, if I, if I take this leap and I quit my job and I go and become an independent consultant. What if it doesn't work? Right. Mm -hmm. Cause that's that. And, and yeah. that's specifically germane to agile coaches, right? A lot of them come mm -hmm. out of the corporate world and then they, they make bones themselves. Um, when that alarm bell goes off, it's, it's warning you, but it could, maybe you need to confront that warning. Um, Mm -hmm. you, you talked about reading, you know, reading 10 books, reading 10 books on a particular subject, and you'll become an expert greater than like 90% or something of the, of the population. I read that somewhere. Mm -hmm. uh, the book that I've, I've mentioned most times, the book that changed my life was David Epstein's Range. I actually think, wait a minute. Hmm. I, haven't, I don't think I know it. I haven't seen here. Nice. And he talks about how generalists will survive in a world of specialists. Yes. And he talks about how you need to expand your knowledge and finding, finding, and I'm a big believer in metaphor. Metaphor is how we communicate with each other. Finding the two things that are uh, completely may not add up in the middle, but then mm -hmm. making them add up in your brain. And then that, that unlocks certain things, things that we didn't know. We didn't know. I read it. I read this book and I looked at my pile of books and I looked at the giant pile of agile stuff and all by great authors. And I put it all in a box. Mm -hmm. because okay i've i've read enough about that now i want to go in different directions um a couple a couple last things for you chris so mm -hmm. i will tell you after after listening to your show for a long time um this whole chain and everybody if chris's episodes are not like ours they're a good 15 minutes he gets in he gets out no ums no ahs no pauses they're actually well wonderfully uh wonderfully Thank listened you. to on the ear mm -hmm. uh why i quit the agile biz is agile going down why agile fails why nobody wants your agile those four everybody i suggest listen to those in sequence and you'll come away with an epiphany you said something in one of these episodes chris um mm -hmm. Which I think is I'm gonna I'm gonna say it here, I'm fanboy. This is probably the most brilliant summation of what we try to do that I've ever heard. And you said, take the best take the best principles that I've learned through practice mm -hmm. and give them the customer an end goal and a way to get there. And here's the key that works for them. Mm -hmm. And when you that is. If I had to put it on my coaching resume, right on my on my Jay Hersko Esquire consultant, that would be the line. That mm -hmm. that's what we're mm -hmm. that's what we're trying to do. And Chris, I do think some people have that last part about what works for them, the part about learning through practice. Sometimes I think we we lose those 
we lose those North stars in that mm-hmm. constellation. And that's where we run into trouble. Sure it is. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, you give 10 people a diet and a workout regime and it'll work for maybe one of them. The, mm-hmm. the secret is again, the secrets on the details. People say, Hey, Chris, uh, how many, should I allow stakeholders into the daily scrum? Flip a coin. It doesn't matter. Should I do retrospectives once a week, once every two weeks, once a month, flip a coin, doesn't matter. I do them more often. I do them at the end of every interaction, every meeting, every discussion or whatever. I like to say, how did that go for you? What, what could we have done here to make this better for you? What didn't you like? What didn't work? But flip a coin. Uh, how long or what time should we run our stand-up? It doesn't matter. Flip a coin. All of these rules that the rule-worshipping entrance to this profession of ours love don't matter. And yet in the principles, we say, don't waste time on things that are meaningless, things that don't move you towards an increment of value somehow. But there's some temptation, some human temptation that forces us to do it. Now, listen, I run a program called The Forge. It's a year-long immersion that I built for leaders who, remember, I learned because I was not a self-confident guy and I knew it was holding me back 20 years ago. So I, I remember doing a Google search. Who Who's the best at self-confidence? And a book came up called Navy Seal Self-Confidence by David Rutherford. My, my old man was in the U.S. Navy in World War II. So I'm like, Navy, I like that. So I learned from him and then joined a program and spent the next eight years learning how people who never fail, who can't fail, who are always put in the most challenging situations and are not large in number, but they're specialized at getting hard things done. How do they think and train differently? Because there'd be value in knowing that. And- So that's what I teach in the forge. And one of the things we do every week over the course of the year is to say, here's a little bit of homework. It's mostly insignificant. I don't care if you do it or what the outcome is. What I care about is if you don't do it, do you know how to communicate to a teammate? I'm in trouble. I need help. When we do our next class on Tuesday, I won't have it done. And then to have a partner or someone you can turn to who will say, let me pull you across the line or, or. Let's go tell Chris that it won't be done. And maybe he'll change the scope for us. Maybe he'll give us some more resources or some help. But if I have to, I'll do the homework for you. So the goal is everyone gets their homework done every week. And every week, somebody, if not most, miss it. Why? Because of that overarching principle. Mm. That yes, everyone's different. And yes, we have to tailor our coaching and even our processes to different teams and different individuals. But if you want something that is always true... It is that people who are in the certainty and safety business have a very difficult time committing to the homework because what if I get it wrong? What if I look stupid? What if yours is better than mine? What if I try and I can't do it? Right? So I remember when I first started my training, they told me, hey, listen, you if you want to hang out with people like this, like elite operators, if you want us to teach you and stay in this program, you have to give up something or do something that's very hard for you. And you already know what it was. Light goes off in my head. I was a smoker. And I've tried quitting smoking many times, as many people have. And they said, listen, whatever it is, you already know, and you have to do it. So I remember I set a date. And on that morning, I got up, I had run out of cigarettes the night before. And my brain's like, we're going to get some in the morning, aren't we? We're going to drive to the gas station in our pajamas and get a pack, right? I'm like, yeah, sure, sure, sure. And then I got up and I never smoked again. I had two pieces of Nicorette gum. I used one. I still have the other one. And wow. nobody nobody knew that I was quitting smoking. What was the difference? In the book, um, Influence, 
I think it's, it's subtitle is the science of persuasion or something. The Bob Cialdini. Yeah. Yeah. He added in his revised edition, a sixth element that controls human behavior. And one is identity. So in that situation, if you call yourself one of these, if you expect to be in kind with these kinds of people, those people don't do this, but they do do this. That's a huge motivator. And so the secret of great coaching I've always found and what I teach in the forge is that I have to be able to go and figure out Jay. What does Jay respond to? Does Jay talk a lot or talk a little? Does he listen more? Is he consider himself a servant or does he consider himself a leader and a thought, a thought pioneer? What do you do in your spare time? How do you know when you've done something well? When I learn these things about you and, and the one question that I always ask when people can't say, uh, you know, I can't really nail it down, dude. I'm like, well, listen, everybody nails it down because if you go outside and look at a squirrel, squirrels do what squirrels do and they don't need to go to no school or get a certification to do it. It's imprinted in their DNA and we all have that. So what's yours? I know it's not agile coach, but it's probably helper, healer, teacher, mm -hmm. facilitator, mm -hmm. enabler of getting things done. That's in your heart and soul somewhere or you'd be doing something else. You'd be carrying a socket set to work every day because you're more of a fixer or a builder, but agile coaches are of a template, just like a squirrel, just like a bee. And you don't need no education to, to, to do it. The one question I ask if people can't really touch it is what have you been through? What have you survived? What did you struggle mm. with that defines you? Because there's a saying that you're most eminently qualified to help the person that you used to be. So if you grew up in a poor family, or a broken home, if you grew up with no access to education, then getting access to those things that you didn't have access to will be a burning fire inside of you. That's your squirrel DNA. That's your destiny calling you. And it's worth knowing those things about people because people work better, burn out less, and do twice the work in half the time. I know you don't like that saying, but I love it. Because when you love what you do every day, all of these problems go away. All of the fears of doing the hard thing, all of the, I, I know I should go to the gym, but I don't really want to. Those things largely disappear because the person that you want to become and the imprint that you want to leave in this world is bigger than the sum of all of those fears and all of those preferences for certainty and safety. Now we can do brave and bold things. And if you want to be an agile coach, you need some of that. If you want to be, let's say, an accountant or a bookkeeper, you don't need as much of that action and adventure and going first, you know, being the, being the one who holds the lantern, you don't have to have that as much, but to be an effective agile coach and deliver results. Look, when I coach, I say, compensate me on this. I'm going to reduce your churn by 30% in 12 weeks. If I don't think I can hit 30%, I'm going to do what I, what I teach my guys in the forge. I'm going to let you know, as soon as I know, maybe it's 22, maybe it's 19, maybe it's 40. But as soon as I know what's reasonable, I'm going to adjust my estimate. All I know is I'm going to get you off the ground away from zero. That's how I want to be compensated yeah. Yeah. on what I deliver. So there's so much, I mean, we could go on for days about coaching. And you nailed it when you said, uh, if you want to lead the band, you got to mm -hmm. be comfortable wearing the hat. Mm -hmm. You got to be comfortable wearing that ridiculously tall drum major hat. I mean, right. I, 
Uh, so I want to touch on I want to touch on that the forge, Chris. So I know I've in your last episode mm-hmm. you said you have a couple of you have a couple of slots left in your newest cohort. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm going to put a link in the show notes to the site and all that. Um, if someone's listening and they're interested, who 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 should be checking this out, Chris? And we have a very very wide listener base. I mean, of old course. practitioners, new practitioners, everybody from scrum masters and coaches to everything in between. Who should be checking this out? I think there's two people right now. One is the the traditional customer that I get. People who know they belong in the forge are people who are sitting there in behind their employee cubicle saying, I work for a bank, but I want to make impact. I got an agile because I knew there was something about it that was going to open a door for me. And I spent my whole life being analytical and technical, but it's time for me to learn the other stuff. The things that actually make agile work. I'm interested in more courage. I'm interested in more confidence. I'm interested in more clarity. I'm interested in being more visionary, more disciplined, more focused, more gritty, more resilient. I know now that I need those things to get where I'm trying to go, but I don't teach any agile or scrum. We'll use it anecdotally. We'll sometimes fish things out of the cannon and use them as teaching tools. My job is not to make you a better scrum master. It's to make you better at delivering stuff. And the reason why I mention that is because so much like I'm doing a presentation tomorrow for a group of people who are effectively not in tech at all. We're talking about 40 or so executives who are in culture and learning. And so we did some pre-research and said, how many of you know what agile is? Less than 20%. The other 80% either had no clue or knew what the word was, but really didn't understand its meaning. Zero percent said they had any proficiency or experience using Agile. So the other kind of person that should be interested in the Forge are the people who are saying, what's next? Because if we've blown our trust and blown our cover in software development, what about taking those principles and bringing them to other areas of the business? Because there is still a ton of value in doing the most important thing first, Mm -hmm. minimizing waste, focusing on simplicity, Checking and feeding back often, delivering early and often. All of those principles that we learn are highly applicable. Look, I del- I, I make just make sense. They just make sense. So that's like- it. So if you want to consult now, I mean, I have a podcast nobody sees called the Badass Agile Entrepreneur Podcast, where we talk about how do you make a living doing this without saying, give me a scrum master salary or give me a coaching salary. So where can we use this most importantly in areas where our world needs it the most. And I know that the healers and the teachers and the, and the solvers and the fixers are going to love this because we live in a broken world. We've destroyed trust. Can I work from home? This is awesome. I love this. I don't have to pay for a commute and I'm so much less stressed. Nah, you need to come back to the office. Well, why is that? Well, we've just studied and you're not as productive. Oh, really? I remember 2005 when they introduced us to Indian offshoring. And we said, wait a second, we're 12 hours off. So I'm doing meetings at 10 at night and seven in the morning. And I never see these people. Well, look, we give you a star com or a polycom or whatever it's called. Figure Mm -hmm. it out, make it, make it work because dude, they charge one sixth of what a North American charges and we can charge three quarters. So tons of yummy margin for us. Funny when the benefits accrued to the company, Mm -hmm. it was doable. When the benefits accrued to the individual, to the worker, it's not doable all of a sudden. Yeah, Something's fishy. We've blown the idea of trust. As a nation, we're divided. Not just divided, but polarized. We're aiming guns at each polarized, other. Polarized, yeah. yeah. And so things are deteriorating. And maybe they've always been deteriorating, but this feels worse to me. 
but I haven't lost hope. What I what I yeah. know and what I love is that Agile's taught us so much about how to make work better, that we should be bringing that gift to all areas right. of business, large and small, but staying stuck in the team room and thinking that Agile is equal to DevOps and Agile is equal to Jira and Agile is equal to technical software development of some kind is a huge miss right. because there's right. so many people that we could teach and help with the things that we know how to do. Right. It's, it, it just makes sense. These are, these are good ways to, to be productive. And um, Chris, we can honestly go another three hours and have it feel like no time at all. There is just one thing I want to ask you in closing, and we're going to link to the <clears> forge. We're going to, um, and this is the only thing that you've said in all the episodes I listened to that I actually take umbrage with mm-hmm. what's with your disgust with grunge music. I never liked it, dude. So, I mean, I grew <laughs> up, I was a guitar player. Okay. As a, as a kid. So I like the technically proficient guys. I like jazz drummers because I think they're the best. Mm-hmm. I like metal guitarists because I think they're the best. And I like, um, you know, for singers, I, I studied opera. I went to the Royal Conservatory of Music here in Toronto for voice. So I like people who are the best of the best. The grunge came along and all my friends were in bands and they couldn't play. Right. <laughs> you know, they knew three chords and the, so yeah. the old joke, but it was also very dark kind of desperate music. And I didn't like it because it was different because that's who I used to be. I used to be a person who did not like change. I liked mm, what I liked, mm. but the music also became slightly less interesting. Looking back now, I can see guys like, um, who's the guy who, who passed away? Chris Cornell. Chris Cornell. Yep. He was a brilliant guy. Dave Grohl, hardest working guy in, in show business. Yes. And he yes. is a consummate entertainer and a master at delivery, by the way. So I have an appreciation for them now, but I, my heritage was in like I hard rock metal guitar. No, I get you. I get you. Um, I I'm fascinated by you know we could we could talk about agile and agile trends, right? And if you go mm-hmm. before agile, there was waterfall, and then there was critical path mm-hmm. and critical chain, and it goes all the way back. You know, uh, Tim Harford was the first one who keyed me out of this guy. It goes all the way back to a Soviet engineer named Peter Palchinsky with the Bolsheviks, right? That's where all this comes from. But I, I with music specifically, I like how we went from we went from hair metal to grunge to new metal. To to I guess a metal core like the kill switch yeah. engage type stuff because I'm a big extreme music guy mm-hmm. and how these and we can also tie it back to like things like the fourth turning all that how these these trends they don't they don't repeat themselves but they rhyme it's almost like a mm-hmm. it's almost like a climbing spiral where the trend will come back of now where I mean now you're starting to see a lot more bands that um, lean back into guitar pop music right and I can't stand pop music if it doesn't have a guitar it's not pop music sorry and right. I'm sorry but mm. now you're starting to see that come back with you're seeing full sure. accompaniment you're seeing musicians mm-hmm. on the stage no offense to Taylor Swift God bless her right mm-hmm. God bless her a billion dollar tour but there's something lost with without having that when you, when you read about the Beatles when you read about these bands mm-hmm. that for whatever reason they all just that lightning in a bottle strikes at that miraculous moment mm-hmm. and it just goes right. It's and all of those trends said and, about it for sure. All of those trends, including agile did something in particular in common, which is they captured the imagination of the moment. They serviced a deep need. Something was broken and people were really looking for something and they were trotting along in a pattern, no longer even realizing that it could be better. And all of a sudden something breaks the glass. And shatters your attention. Anyone who's a marketer knows this. You have to, attention is almost like a currency. So you see guys doing an Instagram feed and they're setting dollar bills on fire or they're blowing up a car, anything to get you to stop scrolling and pay attention to their message. People love pattern interrupts. 
So just when they start to feel too comfortable and start to feel a little bloated and a little lazy, something new comes along that solves a problem that maybe yes. they didn't even know they had. And all of a sudden we have a movement. Yes. Yes. So the other thing I'll mention is if, 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 um, if you're interested in the forge, by all means, reach out. I do weekly webinars on it, but I'm also coming up with a product called rivet the room, which is how to speak in such a way that you staple people to their chairs, that they leave the room different. The message that you're bringing gets heard, gets remembered and instigates meaningful change. And then I have another course coming after that on storytelling. How do you use storytelling properly? Mm, narrative. Yep. We talked about those dynamic tensions. How do you weave a story, whether it is a sales pitch, marketing copy, whether it is how you explain agile in the elevator to someone who's never heard of it. How do you storytell like a pro? And my background was in artistry. The thing I'm fascinated with is expression and how to deliver that expression with certainty and efficiency and with accountability. So that's how I'm in agile, but I don't think I'm going to stay in tech agile. I don't coach anymore. I don't scrum master anymore. I've lost interest. And, and so for me, helping people sell their value is the future because I think people who are bored of being employees who are tired of living in fear of being laid off and being at the mercy of the economy need to learn how to create those moments because when you can create those nirvana moments, when you can create those agile moments, you bring something into the universe that people will pay you for mm -hmm. and you no longer have to be a servant to the system if that doesn't suit you. So something to think about. That's where I'm headed next. And I think awesome. Agile will I think Agile will head in a similar direction in that we don't need a, a, a new thing called Blagile or something else. We're going to see a little bit of a return to the old days of PMI style waterfall because people are craving that certainty and safety. But I still think we've learned an important lesson that we can't unlearn. And so what happens next is maybe the name disintegrates and the certifications start to fade away. But we take those lessons and use it to build something that the world needs in 2023. Perfect. That's perfect. All right. Um, I want to thank, I want to take a very deep and heartfelt thank you, Chris, for coming on the show for on behalf of myself and, and the listening viewing audience. We really do appreciate it. Thank I will you, link to Chris's stuff. I'm going to link to the Badass Agile podcast. People, please check his stuff out. Like you said, I mean, like Chris and I were talking about, the world is moving in a different direction. Maybe we're all moving in new directions. It, it makes sense to pay attention to what he's doing because he's got some interesting stuff on, on tap. So until next time, I want to thank all of you for tuning in, watching, listening. And Chris, I want to thank you for coming on. And until next time, this is the Agile Uprising Podcast signing out. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.